Bibles this morning, we'll get started. Uh, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We've got some of the teenagers with us today. Aaron is away in uh, North Myrtle Beach. Is that South Carolina, right? North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Enjoying some sunshine there. Grandma and Grandpa have some of the grandkids. And two of them are sick. It's been a while since we've had sick kids in the house, and uh, they call me some sick things, but it's okay. A couple of prayer requests before we get started. If you remember, there was a prayer request sent out on um, Friday night regarding Wendy Nimitz. They were also on vacation on their way home, or getting ready to come home, and Wendy's leg swelled up. She had a blood clot in her leg, and they had to do a uh, bring her to the hospital, and she was in ICU overnight, and they dissolved the blood clot. I guess that can be dangerous if a piece of the clot breaks off, And um, but she's doing good. Um, I'm not sure if they've traveled home yet or not, but uh, got a text from Dennis yesterday that everything went well, and they were releasing her from ICU. Again, whether they, she, they traveled home today, yesterday or today, I'm not sure. And then there was another prayer request that I asked to have sent out. My, my uh, cousin's granddaughter, uh, Alicia, was killed on a ATV on Tuesday of this past week. And that was a very tragic accident. Her little brother was driving. And from what I understand, he tried to make a right-hand turn, flip the ATV, and he, bro he had broken a leg. And she was instant. I think, I believe she was instantly killed. I don't know all the details. But the family, of course, is devastated. Now, they're very strong believers. They uh, have a very strong faith. And the funeral will be this Wednesday. And uh, so Kelly and I will be traveling out for that over to New York. Just if you can remember to keep the Blass family in prayer, B-L-A-S-S, -S, uh, as they go through this difficult time. Um, so pray for them and, uh, and all they're going through. All right, well, I know it's good to, good to have you here this morning, and um, let's uh, read chapter 9 of the book of Mark, and actually not the whole chapter, beginning in verse 14, and then I'll have a word of prayer. Let me find my Sunday school lesson first here. And then we'll get into today's lesson. We've got about five more lessons, and we'll be done with, we'll have studied all the miracles of Jesus, and uh, that following the parables of Jesus. So hope it's been a blessing to you. All right, Mark chapter and beginning in verse number 14, the Bible says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. 
And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came uh, unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one that was dead. Insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind cometh come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd bless our Sunday school lesson today. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts through your word and by you, Holy Spirit. Draw each of us closer to you. Open up the scriptures to us this morning. Teach us and guide us as your word promises that you will do. Be with the Sunday school classes that are taking place downstairs. Bless those as well. Be with each student, each teacher. Be with the morning worship service and then the junior church as well. Then in all that we do today, all that we say, it will honor you, it will glorify you. For you are more than worthy of our honor, more than worthy of our worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this particular account is found in three out of the four Gospels. And, um, and in each account, it's following, we didn't read it, but the previous verses here, uh, it's following the transfiguration of Christ. And um, I find that really interesting. And uh, I think maybe I'd like to do a whole lesson just on the transfiguration of Christ uh, in Sunday school, because that's uh, something that takes place, obviously, but you know, what are the implications of it? And that's a whole other lesson for a whole other time. But uh, that's what takes place here. And at first glance, you might think the story here is about the boy who has this, not only does he have a, some type of a sickness, but the boy also has been afflicted spiritually. But I think really the primary focus of the account is not the boy, although he's an important part of it, it's the father. And it's the father and his faith being developed here. And um, I, I think you'll see that as we get into this. Um, so let's look at it. So I did notice this as I was reading. I don't know if you noticed it. And, and uh, by the way, I chose the Gospel of Mark because the Gospel of Mark's account, I think, is the most complete of the three accounts. And I think there's some important things in Mark that are not found in the other, in the other Gospels. But in, I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke, it says, and they came down from a hill. And in, that would mean this is the Mount of Transfiguration. Some think that would be Mount Tabor, 
but uh, others think it might be Mount Hermon in the Bible. And that's regardless. The fact of the matter is they're up on the mount, and it's where the transfiguration took place. So they come down. But notice here in verse 15 where the crowd is after they come down. And then we'll get into this. I just wanted to point this out. Um, whoops, that's chapter 10. Chapter 9 and verse 15. So it says, well, I'll read in verse 14. When he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes were questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and run to him, saluted him. So let me just stop there for a minute. Why? So, you, so picture this. Jesus is coming down. He's with three of the disciples. And uh, the, there's a, there's the rest of the disciples are there. And there's this huge crowd that's gathered. And they see Jesus coming towards them. And they're all amazed. Well, why? Why do you think that they're amazed at Jesus? Because I believe... The word amazed is not found in Matthew, and it's not found in Luke's account, but it's found here in Mark's account. What would cause them to be amazed? Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. Just as Moses, remember, his face was all lit up. When he came down from Mount Sinai, I think this is exactly what's happened. There's something that the people notice about Jesus and um, coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was changed. And, and now he's coming back. And, and, and again, I think maybe next week I'll do a whole lesson on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's, it's an interesting account. And, and why is it taking place? And, and what is it teaching us? Well, I think that's it. They just see this Jesus. He's coming. Wow. He's like, there's this glow perhaps about him. Something is different about him. The multitudes have seen Jesus before. It's not the first time that they've ever seen Jesus. But now remember, too, that we're moving along uh, chronologically in the miracles. So we're probably, we're somewhere, uh, I believe, in the third year of Jesus' ministry. So um, that's part of all of this. So I've kind of divided this up as I went through it. So you have three groups of people here. So first look in verse 14 again. At the end of verse 14, it says, the scribes questioning with them. There's this great multitude, and the scribes are there. And if you notice on your handout, I called the scribes the cynics. Why do you think I would have called them the cynics? Yeah. Right, they were cynical. What made them cynical? <laughs> part of the it's part of the account. Yes. Well, they are questioning Jesus, but about what? You just said about what had happened. You're you're on the right track. Part of the account. Just think of what's taken place here and think of the man and the boy. And as we read through this, some of the things, the dialogue that went, went that took place here. So remember, so Jesus is on the mount with three of the disciples. The other disciples are there. The man has this boy. This boy has a an infirmity physically and spiritually. 
and then the scribes are there. We've seen the scribes, we've seen the scribes before and the Pharisees before. Remember when we did the, the man that was born blind? Well, who, who, who cured you? You know they said. But what's happened here? Yes, Ginny. Exactly. The scribes, when they're questioning him here, it's not so much, uh, when I called them cynics, it's, hey, how come you guys couldn't do this? You know, you guys, you, know, you, know, you say uh, you're great miracle workers and healers, but you couldn't heal this boy. And um, they're, they're, they're challenging, they're challenging here uh, what's taking place. And I'm just going to skip one of the subpoints ahead, get past the crowd. But there's the disciples. The disciples are confused as well. Look at verse 18. It says, And wherefore he taketh him, that meant the spirit, he taketh him, and he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake, this is the man speaking now, I spake to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do it. And Jesus would say, there'd be a question, we'll get to it. Go to verse 28. We'll get to this at the end, but I wanted to show it to you. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Now here's a little tougher question. So why the disciples, well, I'm not going to give you that question. Go back, go back to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Here's where there's why I called the, the disciples confused here. Mark chapter 6 and verse 7. Because if, we, if you go back in time, Jesus had sent them forward, or forth with authority. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. So they were already sent out. They had power over the unclean spirits. Look at verse 13 of chapter 6. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. So they were able to do this. You can go back to Mark chapter 9. But now at this point, they're confused by all of this. So first you have the cynics, the scribes. You just you know, The scribes and the Pharisees, they were always trying to knock the feet out of, of the ministry of Jesus, the, the ministry of the disciples, the disciples, the ministry of uh, or, or the... Um, just always trying to cast doubt because of their opposition. And then the disciples themselves here that were left, the other nine disciples, they're confused by all of this. They want to know why they couldn't do this. They could do it before. But then you have this crowd. The, the crowd here seems to be convinced. I mean, that's why when they ran to him, they were amazed. They saluted him. They, they gather. And again, it's all part of, here's the ministry of Jesus. The, probably the third year now we're talking about of his ministry. The fame of Jesus has spread. First it was in Galilee, and then it spreads to the whole country. Uh, the, the, the common people, the hierarchy, everyone in Israel is hearing about Jesus. And um, so here he is, you know, they, that, that he's come. They see him. So you have these three groups all engaged here in this account in Mark chapter 9. But now let's look at the three individual people that we have here. So first again, it's the boy and the infirmity. 
One of the multitude answered and said, Master, verse 17, I brought unto thee my son, whom hath a dumb spirit. So the, the, the boy is afflicted. In fact, there's a word that's used with regards to this account. It's called, in the, in the original languages, the word is actually moonstruck. There were those, when there was a full moon, they were afflicted or affected by it. Um, and the Bible says, He foameth and gnashes with his teeth and pineth away, and I spake with thy disciples, and they couldn't cast him out. Now, I believe that the boy, I personally believe that this, this, the boy had some type of a condition. Some believe that the boy had epilepsy. Some historically have been mistaken, and when people are like this or have some kind of a physical infirmity, they want to equate it with demonic possession. I mentioned this some, several weeks ago. You'll find in many of the miracles with regards to demonic activity being expelled that you'll see that people were healed of their disease and then also there, were demonic, there was demonic activity. It was, it was like two separate things. You understand what I'm saying? I say that because I'm thinking about some things here. Um, I think there are times that Satan or, the, or demonic activity, especially in the Bible, is hiding itself behind natural disabilities. You understand what I mean by that? Because someone is afflicted, could be physically, and demonic activity takes place, doesn't necessarily have to do with the physical afflictions, but it has to do with the fact that demonic activity will use what demonic activity can use to afflict people. Um, even when you think about Job and Job's affliction, he had, he had boils. Those are natural afflictions that people have, that people can get. Or leprosy. These were, this is part of the, dis, I guess we would call it the disorder of the world we live in because we live in a sinful world. But that doesn't mean that through all of that, it, it, it's, well, let's take it instead of a instead of a physical um, condition. What about a uh, psychological condition like pride? People who become very prideful—that's pride is a result of the fall. And people have and can have an attitude of pride, and Satan uses that pride. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that. Uh, Satan stood up and provoked David to number Israel. And David, it was a prideful act. He put his confidence in the amount of people. So I guess what I'm saying, hold on, I think there are sometimes that there are, uh, because of the fall of man, there are afflictions, and demonic activity hides itself inside of those afflictions and uses those afflictions to have negative effects on all of God's creation, on humanity. And you'll see at the end of this, when Jesus heals the boy, not only is he healed from his sickness, but the demon cries out. Again, it's like two separate things that are taking place in the individual. I hope I'm making that clear. 
So, but the boy, the boy's afflicted. He's afflicted spiritually. He's afflicted physically here, and uh, we see that. But then you have the father, and again, the account is really dealing with the father and his faith, and and and, and getting and the agony uh, of the father. And I, and I think on your handout, I called him both the activist and the agonized, because. The father wants to help his son, but but what can he do? He's brought the boys. He's brought these boys to or, or this boy to to the disciples. Their fame has spread. Maybe this is my last hope here, and uh, and so he's the he's the participant here in getting his son to help, just like we've seen in many of the other miracles. The men on the roof opening up the roof and lowering down. Uh, the man to be healed. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood, now she, she had gone to get that treated and they couldn't treat it. And, and But you see all of these different things, all of these different people trying to help other people, advocating for them. And the father's that way here. Verse 17. He's the, he's the one of the multitude. Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Or now, look at verse 23. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child, he cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So the father here, he is uh, both spiritually and, and emotionally and physically, he's, he's advocating for his son. He wants his son to be helped. But the disciples couldn't help him. And um, well, actually, I, I said the father's the advocate. The father was the activist and the agonized. The Savior, of course, is the advocate. He's always advocating on our behalf. The third subpoint under three individuals. Scriptures say, my, Jesus, John said this, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. If any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father. And I'm so glad that, that the Lord and the Holy Spirit, they, they advocate on our behalf. And uh, that's what Jesus is here. And there's a, it's really a beautiful picture uh, of Jesus coming to a generation, to a world where people find themselves with issues and problems and needs and come to the end of themselves and they just cry out. They cry out. Um, to the Lord. He's our advocate. And Jesus is going to demonstrate that here with this group of people. But you have the cynics. You'll always have cynics. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, where Peter writes saying, with regards to cynics, they say, well, where is the promise of his coming? For the Bible says, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. From the very beginning of time, there will always be people who are cynical of people of faith, who challenge people of faith. And you teenagers that are in the room this morning, uh, you're going to find that. People, oh, that's just not true. I was a cynic for many years. Uh, very cynical about Christianity and the things of Christ. Uh, the educational system in America, in many ways, is cynical about the things of Christ. 
Um, huh? Backslidden Christians become cynical. Right, right. Or, um, um, I think of my, I think of how cynicism can creep in. I think of my family that just are going through this tragedy. You know, who are, as I said, they're they're very faithful. Um, my cousin's husband, Dan, pastors a church in Hunter, uh, New York, and Lighthouse Baptist Church. And my second cousin, their daughter, Laura, and her husband, Michael, very faithful to their church and active and to run their vacation Bible school in the summer. And their homeschooling family and to love the Lord. And then all of a sudden, they go away one day and they get a call or however it happened. And in a moment, just in a, in a split second, their whole life has changed. Their little girl is dead. And it would be easy for cynicism to creep in. No, we're a family, Lord, that serves you. We're a family that, that tries to live for you. Tries to, and, and sometimes in life you have to fight against that cynicism because we know that we have an enemy that will come and try to create cynicism in um, our lives. And I, my cousin, second cousin Laura, she has a sister that is a cynic. I'm really praying for her as she observes her family and how they deal with the loss of a child. And I would think that my cousin Nancy, her daughter Laura, would ask the Lord to use this great tragedy to bring her other daughter to Christ. We don't know how God works, but and God does work in mysterious ways, doesn't he? We don't always know. We won't know the we won't know the final chapter of life until we stand before the Lord. We just don't know all the twists and turns. But these men, these scribes, they were really probably giving it to the to the crowd. Yeah, what are you going to follow this this person for? It's so easy. It's so easy to forget about all of the it's so easy to forget about all of the victories and accomplishments in life that you that the Lord has manufactured in your life. And in one moment, the enemy will try to take that one tragedy or whatever that is and try to ruin and get, cause you to forget about all of the great victories that God has done in your life and how God has blessed. That's the world we live in. So you have the boy, he's afflicted. You have the father who's the activist. He's agonized for his son and the Savior who's advocating him. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So a picture here of a defeated and helpless humanity looking for hope in a hopeless situation. The man must have thought, even the disciples couldn't help my son. But now we see the three statements of authority with regards to Jesus here. So in verse 19... We see this. It's, it's Jesus really challenging them. It's not the first time we've seen this, but Jesus, he says to them, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? 
How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. But we said, now I'm not sure if he's directly talking to the disciples here or to the whole crowd that's there. But we've seen it before. We've seen it after Jesus fed the multitudes when the disciples were out at sea and the ship was tossed to and from. To and fro, we see that the disciples just witnessed a miracle and they forgot the power of Jesus. And, and other things as well. Um, and Jesus challenges them here. I've been with you these almost three years, Jesus is saying. And um, he addresses that generation. But then... Really, the bullseye of the story, I think, is in verses 21 and 23, the second address to the Father. He's brought, the, he's brought this account to Jesus. He asks his Father, well, how long has it been since this, this affliction was, came upon him? Ever since he was a child, the man says. In fact, sometimes, sometimes uh, he's cast into a fire and into the water to destroy him. Look what the Father says here, though. He doesn't have a strong faith. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's an important phrase, the if. The if. Now in Hebrews it says this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. When I read through this, I thought, this man doesn't quite have a full assurance. He does have some assurance here. He's heard, I'm sure, about Just like the disciples are a bit confused, I think the man's confused, and he says, Lord, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, would you do it? Would you do it? Have compassion on us. Help us. And I think you have to read that with a real sense of desperation on the man's part. Verse 23, what I think Jesus is saying to the man, Jesus says to all of us, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. It's a matter of faith and trusting God. You know, I've heard through the years, I remember one particular instance, I'll get into all the details, but... Um, Someone was trying to convince me that the reason somebody does not get healed is because they just don't have enough faith. Well, that would contradict the scriptures here. This man did not have full faith. He had some faith, but he didn't have... Is there any human being ever walked on the face of the planet that has what we would call 100% pure faith? I don't think that's possible because we have a fallen nature. And God still works. God works with what we have. And, and that should be a good thing. Amen? This man has some faith. And um, he makes the appeal. Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And I think we all understand this morning when we read a verse like that where it says all things are possible when you believe. All things are possible within whatever God's will is for your life. And we know that God is not the genie in the lamp and you can just rub on the lamp and he'll give you anything that you want. 
Sometimes we ask and we ask amiss. The Bible teaches us that. I think we all understand that this morning. Um, but Jesus is challenging him here, or maybe encouraging him here is the better word to be used. So he's made the address to the generations. He challenges them about their faith. He makes the address to the, to the Father with regards to this. But the third uh, statement of authority and power is to the underworld. Look at verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And so that's a charge. That's an address to the underworld. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And you know those verses there in Ephesians. It's a spiritual warfare. But Jesus does the battle. Jesus fights the battle for us. And we're to be mindful of that. So thus the authority of the Lord is revealed in the presence of those that have been defeated. The Father, in a way, seems to be defeated. The disciples couldn't help. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, will you please do it? His disciples, they're confused. They don't know why they can't do it. There's the, there's the whole crowd there. They're probably starting to wonder as the critics, the scribes, try to make, criticize them. But he did what no one else, Jesus did what no one else could do with quiet power and with quiet authority. And that's how he works in our lives. What a blessing that is. And so we finished this morning with these three, three characteristics of the man's appeal to Jesus. If thou can do anything, I've mentioned that. So there's an appeal, and he's struggling with his own fear. The man is struggling with his own fear. In verse 18, we read that. I'm not going to go over, we're running out of time. But he says, they, they couldn't do it. He says the last three words, they could not. And what, when, when, when those disciples couldn't, that man's fear must have just exploded. There's no hope. But then, there's the recognition, or the appeal was, was with a struggling faith. If! That's the struggling faith we've talked about. The appeal was with weakness. Jesus, Jesus was kind of identifying that if thou believe, straightway, verse 24, the father cried, uh, the father of the child cried out, said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. He, he, he acknowledges he's got faith, but he acknowledges that his faith is lacking. And I think, you know, so often, if we'll come to terms with that, when we recognize our own shortcomings, when we recognize our own weaknesses, the recognition of our weaknesses and identifying that we bring them to Christ turns our weaknesses into strength. Because it's through the identification that we are weak and we're not strong enough and we do lack faith, and we, and, and we do have our own shortcomings, then we recognize that. We recognize that there's one, though, who has authority and power and purpose, and we rely upon the Lord. 2 Corinthians says that Paul would say, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ would rest upon me. So yeah, we're all going to lack sometimes faith. We're all going to have shortcomings. 
But we recognize that and we lean upon the Lord and He takes us, wraps us in His arms, He strengthens us, He enables us. And I believe we can recognize it physically, spiritually, emotionally. I mean, you just go right down the whole list. So, the bottom of the statement is, when the father cried, Lord, I believe, and knowing that his faith was by no means complete, he added, help thou my own belief. Our Lord's reply was immediate. He turned to the boy and dismissed the demon and healed him. And then at the very end, the, the disciples again come to Jesus. Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, this kind, this, this kind comes forth by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. Isn't there just times in our life where the Lord wants us to be drawn aside and get into some serious prayer time and even to fast and pray? And that's a whole nother lesson for a whole nother time as well. So that's the power of faith. That's the power of the authority of Jesus in every situation. And it's reflected against the shortcomings of humanity and individuals who have faith, but they need help with their unbelief as well. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning and uh, the account here in the text. Lord, help us to be a people of faith. And even when our faith is, uh, is coming up short, we know, Lord, that we can come before you and you'll help us with the lack of faith. Help us be a praying people. Help us be a people who are always being sensitive to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Bless the morning service now. Again, redeem your church to follow in Jesus' name.